Hey folks, welcome to another episode of HealthShift, the podcast that bridges the gap between conventional modalities and ancient healing for complete mind, body, and spirit well-being. We don't want your health to be shit, we want you to make a shift. And please note that these discussions are not medical advice, nor should they be used in place of medical assessments and treatments. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to welcome Doug Finkelstein and John Bastic, the founders of Empathic Health, an organization that provides education, resources, and safety information for those considering the use of psychedelic substances. I am so honored to be in the first cohort of community leaders for the community at large, since this is a renaissance of using these medicines in treatment-resistant depression, end-of-life anxiety, and other medical and growth issues. So we're going to dive more into this, but first I'd like to introduce Doug and John. Doug is originally from upstate New York, where he grew up before attending the University of Michigan. After four years in finance, his first psychedelic experience set him in motion with life changes that supported his move to Los Angeles. Boy, that's not so unsimilar to mine to uh, Ojai and Santa Barbara. <laughs> and to attend graduate school and start a community for people who use psychedelics for personal growth. This community is known as Empathic Health, and it's set the launch on June 15th. More information can be found at Empathic Health Community. John is a Chicago-born and Midwest-raised website developer whose first exposure to psychedelics came from attending music festivals and concerts in his late teens and early 20s. As his experience with psychedelics evolved from recreational to therapeutic, he began to discover the powerful healing properties of these medicines that helped him through his own struggles with mental health and substance abuse issues. Eliciting a desire in him to help others find similar solace in these medicines and avoid some of the pitfalls that come with a bit guided recreational use, he met Doug late in 2020 and has been working with him to help make the dream of empathic health a reality. This is so wonderful, I am so excited. So let's get started about your journeys, no pun intended. <laughs> Thank you for being here today, Doug and John. Thank you, Joey. Happy to be here. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. So tell us your stories and, and how you got to where you are today. You know, I know the intros provided snippets, but let's do a deeper dive. Yeah, appreciate that lovely introduction. So I'll start. When I was a teenager, I started taking finasteride. It's a chronic hair loss medication. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather was bald. My dad was bald. I thought, free hair, sign me up. I just have to take <laughs> this pill and I'm good to go. Uh, it did not work that way, unfortunately. It had some pretty bad mental health side effects. And I was on that until I was 23. Mm. Um, and as you mentioned, I was working in finance in New York. And I started to do some digging online into other people that were on the same medication. And I realized some of the horror stories of other people that were taking this drug to the point that there's a non-for-profit set up to raise awareness around the side effects of it, even mm. though it's still prescribed today, which is fascinating to me, but I won't digress too far on that. So sure. when, I, when I saw these stories, I, I thought, what's the point of having a little extra hair on my head if I'm not going to enjoy my life? So I threw out the, my prescription. I got into meditation a few months later, and that really changed everything about my life, where I became more outgoing and energetic and wanting to try really everything that there is in this lifetime, at least once. 
so naturally psychedelics came across my radar and specifically psilocybin and mushrooms when mm -hmm. I was 25. And I had the impression that I think most people do today, which is what you hear in the media and kind of the government stance that, you know, you're going to go crazy and jump out of a building. And this is only for hippies at festivals, mm -hmm. uh, all that bullshit that, that we've all heard here. Sure. And I, I felt that from what I could gather, if I planned appropriately, took care of set and setting and had a, a sitter with me that, you know, I could almost assuredly, and it's never a sure thing, but if, if you plan well, you can almost assuredly have a, the experience that you're, that you're looking to have. So I had that experience with a few friends of mine out in nature in New York, and it was a wonderful time. And I could tell that going forward that these were going to be something important in my life, but I wasn't really sure what. Mm -hmm. uh, naturally, no longer wanted to be an equity trader in finance after that experience, go figure. So decided to reevaluate and kind of hit the reset button and try to figure out what I wanted to do that would make me feel like I was, you know, providing value to society and fulfilling my, my passions. So I came out to Los Angeles to attend business school to, to get that reset. Still not really sure what I wanted to do, but every three or four months since that first journey, I'll go out into whatever nature is around me and have a similar experience with a handful of close friends with, with a different group of people every time. And what I realized over six, seven of these journeys is I really love introducing this medicine to new people, either people that have never done it or people that maybe did it in college, but had a college experience where it wasn't very intentional and there wasn't much thought behind it. Um, seeing, you know, not just the day of the journey, but what they bring back into their day-to-day -day life and how they integrate their experience and how it kind of starts to influence things in their life in, in a subtle way. Mm -hmm. So in August of 2020, I was in Joshua Tree on a journey of my own, wondering, okay, you know, I'm a student, I'm graduating, actually just graduated yesterday. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you very much. And I'm thinking if there's ever a time to, you know, try to do something big and, and really help a ton of people, it's now. So what could that be? It has to be something I care immensely about. And I, I really care about, you know, providing this for people, doing whatever I can to, to provide the information that I sought when I was 25, looking for my first experience, pro provide support so people can get what they need to feel comfortable making this decision for themselves, if this is something that might be able to help them. So that's where the idea for a community came where we can pool the collective knowledge and resources and experience and stories of, of all the people that want to help others, bring it into a place where anyone can come and feel comfortable and safe and secure to ask questions that they might be afraid to, to look for and to hear stories of other people that that are like them or have had the same experiences as them or whatever it might be to get everything that they need to feel comfortable making that decision for themselves. So that's where the idea for Empathic Health came. I met John along the way and he has been an immense help in getting it off the ground and running. And we're really excited to open up next week on June 15th. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to John to give his intro. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Doug. Yeah. So tell us, John. Absolutely. I was uh, that hippie at the festival that Doug was talking about. Um, you know, for, for better or for worse, it, you know, that is, is kind of where my journey started. 
I, I certainly was raised with a, a head full of dare and, and Nancy Reagan type of rhetoric. Don't just say no and all that sort of stuff. I actually won the dare essay in fifth grade for wow. something I wrote about being very anti-drug. Um, and with that sort of a mindset, you know, I, I found myself, I think, in the uh, all too common situation where I put a lot of my reliance into the, you know, things that the government told me were okay for me to do. I uh, became very dependent on things like alcohol, uh, smoking cigarettes, you know, addicted to nicotine, that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, and my life really kind of fell apart with that. And uh, all along, I was uh, I was using psychedelics here and there, uh, not. I don't want to say in the appropriate way, because, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people can get a positive, positive experience out of using psychedelics, but I wasn't doing them in a way that was really beneficial to myself. I was, uh, I was having these experiences. I was not integrating them. Um, but I was certainly getting this notion that these were important compounds and that the experiences I was having wasn't just the same thing as going out and getting drunk with my buddies. Uh, you know, I, I kind of long believed that there was something special about these. And I was that weird kind of pseudo hippie drunk person throughout college that used to bug my friends and say things like, you guys, like there's, these chemicals are special. You guys need to try these. Not too long ago, I actually caught up with quite a few of my fraternity brothers. And one of them kind of jokingly said something uh, to me about like, hey, remember when we were in college and you used to try to convince us all that acid was good for you? And I was like, yeah, man, I, I, I still am doing that. And, and <laughs> I think I'm kind of right this time. And there's going to be some empirical evidence to back up my, my you know, I guess, fringe views. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit unfortunate, but it's like it, it's all too common for somebody like myself to put my trust in a system and uh, kind of have that system fail for me. I, uh, I felt kind of depressed and directionless and my, my drinking had gotten out of control. Um, I was having, you know, no fulfillment from the jobs I was working and didn't have a whole lot of uh, direction whatsoever as to how I could get out of the rut that I was in. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't have any sort of connection, to anything larger than myself. I had no spiritual connection or anything along those lines. Uh, and eventually things got so bad for me that I kind of had to, you know, pull the reset button, moved out to California uh, checked myself into a rehab, quit drinking, uh, stopped taking the antidepressants that I've been taking for years while I was drinking. So I don't even know whether or not they were actually providing me with any sort of actual relief. Um, and things started to turn around for me a little bit. I started to find interest in things like meditation and, and other things that I used to think that had no value whatsoever, just because I didn't even have the, uh, I guess, wherewithal to investigate them further for my own being. I know I kind of brushed them off at a su superficial level. Um, and, uh, you know, I, after I quit drinking, I had done a little bit of research and, and found out in the background of, you know, things like Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, that there's a really deep spiritual psychedelic connection to it. You know, Bill Wilson, when he came up with the 12 steps was under the influence of a Belladonna drive psychedelic delirium, which was kind of, a, a, a I guess, a, a fringe uh, treatment for alcoholism in the 1930s that they were testing out on people. And he had a really profound experience and came back with this set of spiritual guidelines that he turned into his, you know, really, I guess, world-renowned uh, addiction, well, alcoholism program. And, uh, you know, that's still in use today. And a lot of people kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, all drugs are bad. If the government says they're illegal, they must all be bad for me. You know, in the 1950s, he, uh, he made a statement along the lines of, you know, uh, he, he tried LSD because they were doing these experiments up in Canada that were proving to be incredibly successful with curing alcoholism. 
And uh, he said something along the lines of like, you know, this is the spiritual experience that I'm trying to invoke with the steps that I've created for people. And he more or less got shunned by his own group that he helped create, you know, two decades earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had read about that and that kind of interested me. And to be completely honest with you, my, you know, uh, misinformed brain was also like, hey, well, this is a drug I can do, even though I'm supposedly sober now. And uh, I got some LSD and I started using it with no intent for it to completely reformat my entire life. But I started having these experiences that were so profound and so moving and so life-changing that I couldn't deny what was going on. And uh, I started delving a little bit deeper and my use started going from, you know, this being a drug that I was going to use at raves or, or concerts or whatever, to something that I was using to learn about myself and learn about the world around me as per the result. And uh, it profoundly changed me in such a way that, you know, I started thinking about ways that I could integrate this into my life and help others with this. Uh, I didn't really know where I was going to go with that or what that was going to look like. Um, You know, quarantine, for better or for worse, provided, I think, a lot of us with a lot of time to kind of sit down and think about a lot of things that we maybe didn't have the time to think about before. Uh, It's not so easy to sit around and meditate on good things when you're stuck in four or five rush hour traffic for a couple hours every single day. Sure, sure. Uh, I was afforded a little bit of this opportunity to start thinking more broadly about this. Uh, I started seeing these psilocybin companies start popping up in places like Oregon having these uh, reformations on, on, well, all drugs being decriminalized. And even California, I think, just recently had a bill that passed to the Senate for a blanket psychedelic decriminalization. And I started realizing that this might be a legitimate thing that I can put some stock in in my future. And then Doug and I crossed paths and I was like, hey, somebody who's doing just the sort of thing that I have kind of loosely been thinking about all along. And jumped no, on no coincidence. Yeah, you know, there are no coincidences, you know. <laughs> As my dad loves to say all the time, everything does happen for a reason. And that's the sort of thing that I didn't used to believe in for a very long time. And it's something that psychedelics helped me start understanding how that is kind of a reality. And uh, that makes life kind of a, a safer, more comfortable place to be in when it starts feeling like things do happen for a reason. If everything's you know, random chance, then it's kind of difficult to find meaning in a lot of things. Yeah, very true. Psychedelics have helped me with that. They advanced me in a lot of ways, not just, you know, the, the clearly superficial ways, such as connecting to spirituality and finding interest in these other things and discovering in myself that helping others is something that in turn will help myself and better my life and the lives of the people around me. But, uh, you know, it's all kind of connected. So I feel very fortunate to be where I am today. I feel very fortunate to be part of Empathic Health and uh, having these wonderful conversations with people like yourselves. So uh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so welcome. This is like, this is just absolutely wonderful, wonderful. And I come at it from a totally different uh, perspective because I'm uh, almost double your years, I think, in age. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, I grew up in a very sheltered environment and all that kind of stuff was like super scary for me. So it wasn't until my own cancer journey that it was a patient who said to me, you know, have you ever looked at shamanism? And I had to actually go up, you know, Google, what is shamanism? <laughs> and it opened up a, a whole new world in terms of my, you know, my first experience and then experiences beyond. So I am like super excited. Um, I love the whole idea that there's so much research going on with maps and at the various, you know, institutions and whatnot. Um, and I know we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this, but I, I am concerned about um, 
it becoming sort of like the new wave and then companies wanting to invest so much money in there in order to scale it, you know, because then we'd look at profit, 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 as opposed to intention, intention, intention. Um, so tell me a little bit about your, uh, you know, your stumbling blocks and obstacles in terms of um, getting this off the ground since things are still somewhat underground, even though they're getting, you know, a little bit more open and popular. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there's a lot of the obvious um, obstacles that are the illegality, like you mentioned. And we're very fortunate to have the lovely women at Plant Medicine Law Group helping us out in, in the legal realm to, yep. to make sure that, that we're not doing anything that would potentially harm anyone that's coming into the community or jeopardize the integrity of the community itself. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the, you know, the things that any startup goes through. Everyone working on this, um, I'm a student, John has a full-time job, uh, that, Britt, Ash, the rest of our team, everyone's working. So right. we're all doing this because because we love it, and we hope that one day, you know, we can do this as as our life. Uh, but we do need to pay the bills. We do need to 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 do the the other things to to survive. Um, so of course that that causes tons of um, roadblocks, along with the logistics of we're all remote. We're all in in different places. Um, so so there are the obvious things like that. But I, I think something that's pretty unique about this space, the psychedelic space, is the willpower we all have to see this through the right way. Where you know we're not we're not making a real estate investment firm or doing a stock pitch together or anything like that. Like we are doing something where the rewards of our 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 labor isn't you know a bigger bank account. It's someone coming to us and saying, I love that event. I learned, I apologize for the background noise. There's some drilling going on. <laughs> um, you know, be, being able to, to hear that from someone that I learned a new journaling technique that has made me feel so much better the past week, or I loved hearing that story. I've never heard anyone else has been on a similar path to me until now. And to hear that, you know, since they started their ketamine treatments, they've ha stopped having suicidal ideations. You know, maybe that's something that is in my future too. Like getting that is just the ultimate boost where, yeah, we might be working 20 hour days after work, turning to empathic to, to work on, on our things. And then, you know, it's, it's draining. It's a lot of work, but you hear one person that you've helped and it's because of all that work that you've done and you're ready to go the next day. It's like, I don't need that four hours of sleep. Let's go, let's just keep it, <laughs> let's keep it going, let's keep working. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. Um, it's interesting. I, um, I actually met with one of the physicians here in San Diego who started a, a ketamine clinic. He was one of the first ketamine clinics. And I said, you know, I'm coming pretty much off label. I don't have treatment resistant depression, certainly uh, a history of anxiety and, and traumas. Um, but due to my cancer treatment and Lyme and, and then having a staph infection, I was on a pick line for antibiotics for a couple of months and developed what I call in my profession, rot gut, <laughs> but, um, you know, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and yeast overgrowth and all of that kind of stuff. So I said, I'm really coming more for trying to heal my gut 
you know, because of that vagus nerve connection. And the vagus nerve we know is very important in depression, uh, but it's also really important in digestive, in the digestive system. And so he said, sure, you know, we'll give it a try. And what's really interesting, again, no coincidence, but I went through that period where my dad actually got COVID and then passed away. And I never had the opportunity to grieve my mother's death. I'm an only child. I'm always the one that's had to kind of take care of everybody and have been through a, a number of different traumas. And so I've been the one that had to like pick up by the bootstraps and get going. Um, through that ketamine experience, I bawled my eyes out and couldn't even like talk to anybody for 24 hours. It was the most profound cleansing situation. And then three months later, I just lost my dog, uh, Tammy, who I had for 17 and a half years. And again, if I had not gone through that experience with the ketamine, because it's the one legal um, psychedelic right now, um, I would be in a different place. I would be like buttoning it, buttoning it up, you know, putting it on the shelf and not dealing with it. And um, I have to say that my experiences have really, really profoundly allowed me to grieve. Yeah. I, I'm just to speak on the, <laughs> the ketamine aspect of that. That's something that I've recently been getting involved with myself and, you know, 100% as to what you're saying, I, I had a very similar experience where I was in a long time depressive state mm -hmm. and I didn't really understand what that even really meant until I started the ketamine treatment. I didn't really understand, you know, I had a very cursory understanding of depression as well. I'm just sad. I'm just, you know, not feeling happy or unable to feel happy. And the ketamine allowed me to understand that it's not really just about an emotion. It's more of this long-term, you know, rut that I had gotten myself in, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you know, not processing trauma correctly. There's a number of reasons that I can get down there. But uh, what it allowed me to do was kind of start realizing that it wasn't just a constant sad state. It was an overall blunting of my entire life experience. There wasn't happiness and there also wasn't true sadness. Mm -hmm. There were very, I guess, low level emotions, anger, you know, outbursts, that sort of thing, but not anything really profound, healing, uh, anything that was really going to help me better myself uh, as a person and grow emotionally. And when I started doing the ketamine, the first infusion that I had, I, I started crying. And, and I had, you know, I commented to people close to me in my life that while I was going through this depressive period, that one of the things that I had noticed was even when I felt really sad and felt like I needed to cry, that wasn't a possibility for me. I, I had such emotional blunting that that just wasn't there. And so it seems kind of weird to be like, well, I'm depressed, but also I can't cry. But mm -hmm. it's like, there was nothing in either extreme, either direction. There wasn't joy, there wasn't bliss, and there also wasn't true sadness. There also wasn't a real feeling of these emotions that, you know, we, we kind of need to go through in order to process these things and get beyond them. And, uh, you know, it really afforded me that ability to start seeing that I could do this again. I could experience both the lows and the highs. And the low wasn't really so much a low. The sadness and the crying that came out wasn't me feeling terrible. It was me feeling relieved. It was me yeah. feeling this cathartic moving past something that I had been so stuck on and so hung up on that, uh, you know, now I was going to be able to grow in different ways because I was past it and unstuck. And, uh, you know, there's that sort of a thing from a lot of different psychedelics, obviously. The, the good thing about ketamine, especially in the case for somebody like me who's used so many psychedelics over the years and has some sort of 
uh, I guess, baggage along with them. You know, I, I get anxious, you know, because they trigger the thoughts of bad trips that I've had when I was unsafely using them and things like that. And ketamine, you know, kind of, at least for me, I can only speak for myself. It seems like it jumped past that for me. There, there wasn't that level of fear. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, from a neuro neurological standpoint, it actually kind of reduces activity in the fear centers of your brain and allows you to kind of bypass that sort of a thing. And uh, it was really, really helpful for me because it got me to a place that I hadn't been in a very long time. And it got me there in a very easy, very quick, very comfortable way. Um, and, you know, I, I had mentioned earlier that I was on antidepressants for a very long time. And it's like, you want to talk about emotional blunting, that's that's kind of their purpose. That is, and yeah. Really lies is, is in short-term usage to blunt these negative emotions. If you really need a life raft to keep yourself afloat, well, you go through some other sort of auxiliary, auxiliary therapy, like talk therapy or, or something along those lines to help you work past what it is that you're trying to get past. But all too many people like myself get on antidepressants and don't do anything else and don't get off of them and don't do yep. the things that you're supposed to do in order to work past them. And the next thing you know, you have another drug that you're dependent on. You know, I, I mentioned my issues with alcohol in the past too. And I'll tell you, getting off of antidepressants was much more challenging uh, yes. from a withdrawal standpoint than getting off of alcohol was. Um, and it's, it's hard to piece those things together when this is something that my trusted doctor gave me. And- yeah. They're not doing with bad intent, but there's a lot of baggage that comes with those sort of things. And that sort of baggage seems to not be associated with psychedelics, which is why I see so much promise in them. Fingers crossed, you know. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, it, that is one of the uh, the downsides of the traditional psychotropics is that they, they blunt emotion, you know, positive and negative. And, um, you know, I've worked in the field of mental health and eating disorders for a number of years. And there's a, a favorite uh, author of mine, her name is Janine Roth. And I use her statement so often because she frequently will say, the only way around it is through it. And that's one of the things that I've found that psychedelics really affords me, at least in my experience, um, is to really go through it without feeling like you're gonna completely, you know, bottom out or fall apart. Cause that's, you know, never been accepted. <laughs> I started working with a shaman maybe a month or two ago. And the yep. very first thing she said to me was the only way through that, or the only way past this is through it. It's through and it. It's like such a simple concept, but you know, our brains probably want to avoid thinking that because nobody wants to go through something hard. Yeah. It's kind of human behavior. You know, I think so. Right. Yeah. We want, we want to avoid the pain. Better on the other side. So, you know. <laughs> I highly yeah. recommend the book, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Ah, uh, okay. That absolutely changed my life. It was my, my first entry into stoicism and kind of those philosophical teachings. But as you can tell by the title, it's exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yep. The only way to get to the other side is to go through it. There, there's no way around it. And I think uh, psychedelics for anyone that's taken it or, or has an experience with a psychedelic certainly knows that to be the case. Yeah, yeah. I know my passion, you know, now that I've been involved in uh, traditional nutrition, but then also me traditional mental health and, and now functional medicine, which I love, but my goal and my be all, be all and end all is really to kind of bring these things together so that we can actually, uh, you know, have that as a, a clinical model to support people. And, um, you know, so we've got the people with the mental health challenges and, and maybe men medical illnesses, end of life and things like that. But the other group of people that I would just love to see 
our um, leaders, you know, the leaders in our country and, and the uh, executives of our corporations to just lock them in a room, put them on a journey and have them come out a more empathic, uh, creative and caring, uh, you know, leader. <laughs> so that's my other group of people that I'm hoping to work with. So Rick Doblin of MAPS was on a podcast recently talking about that very thing where they're ah. trying to get Israeli and Palestinian leaders in a room together using ayahuasca. And oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a more, you know, unbelievably epic way of showing the world like this is, this is the way, this is how we do this. So yep. we'll see. Yeah, well, we will, we will see. I mean, Rick has certainly uh, pioneered a lot and I'm, I'm so, um, you know, thrilled with all the research that he's, you know, been uh, putting forth and, and connecting all of that to get this also to be legal, acceptable, and also to create protocols that are going to be safe for people. So yeah, this is awesome. Oh my God, this has been so excited, <laughs> exciting. So um, what tips do you guys have to offer people as we navigate this crazy, you know, healthcare maze? Excellent question. <laughs> I, I think it really comes down to, you need to find what works for you. There, there's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and like we were just talking about, I think that's a, a common thread in the current healthcare system that's like, all right, you roughly fall into this category that a bunch of my other patients do. Here's 50 milligrams of XYZ. We'll see if that works. If not, we'll throw you on something else and see if that works. Maybe we'll combine them. We'll up the dosage where those can absolutely help. I'm not saying that they can't. I think there's a lot of value in these things, but it's, I think it's other things like a more holistic approach of, you know, try meditating and the, the, the number of people that I, I've, I love preaching meditation to people as my friends will begrudgingly uh, tell you. And uh, tons of people will say, you know, I, I can't find the time to do it. And my response is always, I would argue there's nothing more important consuming your time than a five minute meditation practice, 10 minute meditation practice, that this should be in your calendar as the number one most important thing on your day. To, mm -hmm. to look inwardly and reflect on that. And I think even from that, you'll find, you know, the things that make you feel like a little bit better person today and a little bit better person tomorrow. Maybe it's skipping dessert one night or eating a little healthier or getting in a two minute workout before your workday starts and you're sitting down all day. Things that, you know, objectively a two minute workout doesn't sound like much, but maybe that's what gets the blood flowing, makes you more productive at work, gives you that better energy throughout the day, gets you mm -hmm. feeling better for the next day and you push it to three minutes, who knows, but maybe it doesn't work and you stop doing it, but you know, you tried something new, you, you checked it off the list, you added it to, to your daily task list, whatever it might be, you know, just experimenting and poking around and finding what your unique spectrum is of things that work for you to, to make you feeling better about yourself. And I think a lot of them are, are similar, things like meditation, yoga, exercise, eating healthy. I think it's some version of all those types of things for people, but who knows what it is specifically for you. And just listen to people you admire and are smart and you think are, are, are treating themselves well and try what they're trying and see what works for you. Mm -hmm. So it's a super tough question to answer. But I, I think that's the, the best way to try to approach it. Yeah. So meditation, try things, try new things and listen to other people. I oftentimes tell people, listen to positive podcasts, 
books on tape, whatever it might be. So great. That's a three great trips. How about you, John? Uh, all right. Glad, Doug, <laughs> that you went first. So I had a little bit more time to think about this. <laughs> um, I, I feel like one thing that I lost and have certainly rediscovered recently is that it's really kind of important to listen to your instincts and your intuition. You know, we're, we're animals just like any other on this planet. And we, we don't come as a blank slate. I don't believe, you know, that I'm sure is debatable, but it's, it's important to go with your gut in some situations, you know, there's a, a reason why you have feelings about things. Um, you know, your experience is informed by the things around you and the people that you interact with. And that also includes things like marketing and propaganda that inform your, your worldview. Sure. And uh, that, doesn't mean that they're the right thing just because it's the thing that everybody does and everybody's listening to and everybody's doing. So it's very important to kind of get in touch with yourself and understand, uh, you know, have a, a good understanding and a good relationship with yourself to, to trust yourself and trust your gut and trust when you know if something feels right or feels wrong and uh, when to pursue those things and when to step back. Um, I think keeping an open mind is probably profoundly uh, a really important thing here. It's uh, it's very easy, I think, you know, again, speaking only for myself to get caught up in, in, in feeling one way and thinking one way for a very long time. Uh, the older we get to, it seems as though, not it seems as though, but I guess a lot of people have a tendency to stop learning and stop growing and stop, you know, uh, allowing new experiences and new things to kind of come into their lives and, and, and uh, change the way that they think about things. And uh, I guess to tail on that one is to be willing to adapt your beliefs. And as soon as you have new evidence that changes the way that you think, you know, I, I feel like uh, maybe even a few years ago, if you would have been talking to me, there's a, a lot of different tunes I would have been singing, but you know, mm -hmm. I, I've come around to a lot of things. I've, I've opened my mind to a lot of ideas that um, I, you know, was very closed off to before. And it has really enriched my experience, uh, whether or not they're even the right things, even, I guess, identifying with and coming to an understanding as to why other people believe things in a certain way is important to kind of expand your own uh, experience instead of just kind of throwing it all out because that's not the thing that you agree with and not the thing that you believe in. Uh, so those, I guess, would be kind of my three things. Awesome. Okay. So we're looking at uh, intuition, be intuitive, um, be open-minded and be adaptable. And uh, one of the nice things about all these medicines is that, and I talk about this frequently with people because I love my little uh, factoids, increases BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So we do become more plastic and adaptable as we go on. So uh, this has been a wonderful, wonderful discussion. And I thank you so much for being with me today. So how can people find you guys? <laughs> yeah, check us out at empathic.health. That's our website. You can find out more about the community and our offerings. Would love to see you there. Would love to have you join us. And if you're listening before June 17th, come check out our trivia night where we'll be playing trivia for a whole smattering of charities to donate some money to good causes all in the name of some good, fun, lighthearted, psychedelic educational trivia. Awesome. That's great. Thank you both so much. And if you like this podcast, please rate, share, and review it. Fail, share it with your family, friends, and coworkers. I am on a mission to change the current paradigm of healthcare and mental health care. And you can find me at juliefreeman.net, on Instagram at Julie Freeman Mindful Wellness, and on YouTube at Julie Freeman Functional Medicine La Jolla. Until next time. Thank you, Julie. Thank You're you, welcome. Julie. Awesome oh, time. Great. Take care.